Welcome to our newest adventure for first responder wellness. No one fights alone. In-depth conversations about mental health and culture in the first responder space. We're joined by your co-hosts, Austin Pedersen and Brad Shepard. Hey, Austin, what's up, man? It's been an interesting week in the world. Uh, I think we have to start off this episode by honoring you know, the, some of the officers that, uh, have faced challenges across the last week. It's the only thing to do. We, we, they, they need to be honored. It is, uh, devastating and heartbreaking to lose an officer killed in the line of duty. But this one three days ago was, it was significant that that one, he didn't even have a chance to, he's still, he's still brand new. Yeah, but it speaks a lot to to the character of the the people that get into this job and uh, the meaning behind it. Because I mean, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Like two weeks on duty, and you know, there he is running into a hail of gunfire to save other people. Just referencing the uh, Louisville bank shooting and the tragic loss of life for everyone. Uh, but specifically to our officers who were killed, specifically this 25-year-old Nicholas Wilt, 10 days out of graduation from the Law Enforcement Academy. 10 days. Gives me chills. Not even, uh, right? Just what a valiant effort. You know, the deputy chief uh, was talking at the news articles that I was reading, you know, praising them for running in and they get in a shootout and they, you know, end resolution is, is obviously final, but the, you know, the impact of devastation left behind in that wake is got two cops dead, civilians dead. I think nine more in the hospital with gunshot wounds. It's uh, pretty heavy. And we've lost, you know, a couple more. We've lost some, uh, some pretty significant losses recently to up in, I think it was Wisconsin. Uh, just the yeah. other day and yeah uh i did a i did a look as we were kind of prepping this conversation i did a look we're actually officially we're down uh in the law enforcement line of duty death loss we're still below the national trend but in just recently it seems like we're we're getting hit pretty hard that community yeah uh, on line of duty deaths and then i think it if i remember correctly and we are in april uh, the suicide amounts at like 27 or 28 too as well. Uh, so lots of, and that that's increased over the last day, unfortunately, um, from what, you know, uh, yesterday was really shitty, man. It was a long day. It was, uh, you know, but I got someone reached out to me mid morning, uh, someone who's, who is a therapist for first responders and said, Hey, you know, I've got this guy who's struggling with PTSD. We want to, we want to make sure and, you know, get him get him the help he needs you know and i said no problem let's you know let me know what you need let me uh have a conversation with him we can move as fast or as slow as he's he'd like and she said okay i'll, I'll contact you by end of day and you know unfortunately i get a call uh around 6 p.m you know that he had been found dead and it anything like that especially when somebody is in the process of receiving help, they, they don't get to make that decision, right. To get the help at, at that point. And it, it fucks me up, man. It it really does. Cause I know, and, and I think you do too. I know 
that there is help out there and there is, yeah, there is a life that can be led, you know, that is happy and joyous and free and, and all of those type of things. And it just, it makes you do the what ifs, right? The impact of that really is, is related to, they were so close. They were just, you know, just right there at the precipice of getting help of actually getting them in. And yeah, I, I, you sent me that message last night and it, it just made me sick at my stomach. And I didn't even, I wasn't even on the phone call. It was just hearing the news you sent me just absolutely was nauseating. Oh yeah. And, and even, you know, when I'm sitting at home and it was one of those stark things where I'm sitting on the couch and we're watching like Ted Lasso, which is, I think Ted Lasso is an amazing show. Love that show. For one reason. And it is the upbeat happiness in that show right and that's something that i think we've been missing a ton which is all these shows are really dark and they're great shows like don't get me wrong but ted lasso you're like waiting for it to be dark and it's there's been a few dark points but it always goes back to upbeat which is why i really like watching it and it's the power of positivity yes he's just consistently positive all the time yep and that's rare in today's world and so we're watching that show and i you know received the, the message on that and well, it's just a loud like motherfucker, god damn it. You know, like it's it it's a I can't help but have a visceral reaction to those kind of things. Um, because it's I I take it so serious and you know, it's a stark reminder on one end of how serious mental health is, uh, how important it is to kind of be on your game and and also specifically for the first responder community, like when somebody reaches out, it's go time, right? Like, cause it took that level to get them there that you better start moving quick. The consequences of not moving quick are devastating. So at the same time I was getting the text message from you, I was, I got a phone call from a uh, friend who said, Hey, you need to check on somebody. And it, it was not the same type of situation, but equally devastating to me a friend of mine guy used to work for me transitioned out into fire industry and i was told he responded to a call that his uh as a firefighter and it was an auto accident when he gets there he finds that his it's his parents his dad's dead flies mom out she passes later and the message that was communicated to me was that i don't think anybody's checking on this guy and I need somebody to check on him, of course. So obviously, I'm, I'm going to reach out to him today. But man, it just makes you sick at your stomach to think how many other people out there are, not, are running into these enormously heavy situations and nobody's checking on them. Obviously, the phone call yesterday just left between your text message saying, hey, here's what's up. And then the phone call I got, it's like, man, we got a lot of work in front of us. This is, yeah. this is a lot. Yeah. Well, it's... Is a stark reminder of one, you know, hold the lo- the ones you love close, right? And make sure that you have a reminder that not every day is promised uh, and that tomorrow something could happen. But also it's, yeah, there's, there's a ton of work because for that gentleman right there, I feel like that's his worst nightmare. Like I, I think it's any first responder's worst nightmare to, to run into that situation. Can't imagine. I had an old lieutenant. Uh, that I worked for, well, actually, I didn't work directly for him, but he I, he was a good mentor of mine. Uh, he took himself off the road 
when he moved back back to his home community for that very reason. He he had so many relatives. He said my worst fear was driving up on an accident, a fatal accident, or a severe injury accident where my family members were involved in it. You know, it's it's real, and it happens a lot, especially in these communities where they're not large communities, just smaller communities, and everybody knows you know everybody you know, if not related. And then the more devastating the situation or event, the heavier it is. Well, and that's that's something we've spoke a, a ton about to different people is what about these small departments uh, that do not have peer support, do not have the capability for funding for a therapist uh, or any type of wellness funding. And, you know, let's, I'm going to use, you know, a Southern Utah one, for example, I think they cover like 350 miles uh, in every direction. And most grew up there uh, and and became first responders. So that means they know every single person in that county. And there's maybe uh-huh. you know, 4,000 in the county. And so every call they they go to is probably somebody they know. Every arrest is probably somebody they know. And it's a different level of personal connection. And I don't know how they, I don't know how they do it. I don't. Well, it was definitely a heavier impact because of your proximity to the situation or the proximity to the person itself, maybe you're related to them or you know them or you grew up with them. But, you know, I think the flip side for that, not, not to just be completely negative to that, the flip side, uh, an argument could be made that there's a lot of resilience to be gained with knowing everyone in that community as well, that you have a lot of support and that people, you know, come alongside you and support you in a variety of ways. Or you can draw down on that uh, support by just going and having conversations with people relative to telling that story or communicating in some way. Whereas that is not the case in large departments or large uh, communities where you're just you're just an, a number as far as a firefighter or a cop or a EMT. You're just a number. You're just a random. You just happen to be doing that job as a firefighter or a cop in a small community you really are the hero you really are viewed as well that's my cop i remember working small town that's my trooper that that, i heard that many times you're my trooper and you know there's an argument to be made that there is that also to be the flip side of how devastatingly impactful that familiarity can be to such an event yeah i mean that's fair i didn't even think about that process and i think you're right um I lived in a small, pretty small area for quite a few years with, I think, maybe four or five sheriffs or something like that. And, uh, yeah, that was the process. I think there was definitely not the same amount of, like, distaste that big cities have for law enforcement uh, or or the fireside, you know. So maybe maybe it is a little bit easier, and, and that's not easy. Well, that's not the word to use, right? I don't know if easier is the right word. I think it's uh, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. It's, uh, you know, you don't have the heavy workload. You may not have the high crime volume in a small community, but the direct impact of a, you know, a major crime or a major event, the direct impact is devastating. I mean, it's you're, you're connected to those people, but you're also connected to those people on a resilient level as well. They love you. You can walk into the coffee shop and they're talking about it. You know, they're having conversation. Man, that was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. 
you know, those are, those are conversations that you don't have in larger communities, larger areas, metropolitan areas. Well, and they're probably, I mean, they're designed to be, you know, the, the number of officers is designed to be smaller. Um, so maybe it's not, you're not having the same issue as, uh, say a big city like Chicago or something that's like 50% staff, right. And working crazy overtime hours and, you know, not getting a, not being able to go home and, and all of that kind of stuff. Right. Like you think, well, it's, it's easier to not humanize a police officer in a larger area like that. You don't see them as human. You don't see them as having a significant other or spouse or having kids. They're, their kids are, you know, going to school with my children. You, you don't humanize them uh, like you would in a smaller community where that's, you know, that's Trooper Shepard. But later it's just Brad, who's a trooper. You know, it's, it's, there's Brad's kids. There's Brad's spouse. There's Brad's, you know, whatever. But the, you know, the flip side of that is you can't go anywhere without having those conversations. You can't go, you can't go to the grocery store. You can't go to, you know, get a, a, a meal you can't go anywhere without hey i got stopped and you know now i'm i've got this ticket like well you should have been speeding well you know this you're just never away from it that's your experience isn't it i mean you were oh absolutely i I can't remember you told me was it like four or five thousand people that lived in the town yeah about 4500 yeah yeah so everybody knew you were and had those conversations i mean that everybody yeah oh that's that's the same in, in a different situation for me, which is like everyone's family calls me when they have a family member that is struggling in one way or another, right? And, and so I, I can relate to you in that in the sense that like sometimes I'm like, dude, I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, I, I don't want to give you tips on an intervention just the same way as you're like, I don't care that you got a speeding ticket. I like, yeah. shouldn't have been speeding, right? Yeah. My cousin's husband's ex daughter's boyfriend got a domestic violence put on him what can we do mm-hmm. and you have to you know you have to placate the situation a little bit but your inward voice is going who gives a shit yeah you know i i'm just trying to buy a loaf of bread here so there's that and i had the uh i, I had a pretty cool because i lived close enough to oklahoma city that i was i would work I was working different assignments that would lead me either in a remote rural area or in the Oklahoma city area. So, you know, I understood that disconnect as well, that I was just a number, you know, you could, you know, there's elements that you hide behind. And I think to the point of this entire conversation, that rural assignment, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of love actually, you know, with all the negatives that we talk about being a small town, you know, whatever, there really is an appreciation and a, and a love for that position a hero type uh, mentality for that at the end of the day there's a lot of people there's a lot of support there's a lot of support out there for first responders firefighters uh emergency room folk emts paramedics flight nurses cops i mean there's a there's a veterans a lot of support out there but if you listen to the negative you know that's another self-care issue of listening to the negative and the negativity there's there's plenty of that out there if you want to listen to it, but there's also a lot of people saying, "Hey, I, I appreciate what you do." Yeah, and and that's, I mean, I don't think we talk about that enough, right? Like there there still are people out there that exist in that mindset of exactly what you're talking about that are thankful for the first responder, 
and and we see a lot of the or talk even about a lot of the negativity surrounding it and the the hate that people are getting when there is still a percentage of people that are just so grateful you know and i mean me included right my household is that way uh, and i make sure people know and um but that's been a i was riding down uh with a, a phoenix pd officer the other day down to the airport and he made a stark comment that is very very true he said you know back back when i was starting i was choosing between the fire side and the police side end up choosing the police side he goes but you know, looking at it now, nobody's holding up signs saying "fuck the firefighters." Maybe I might have chosen the wrong one, <laughs> but it's still a noble, worthy, and honorable profession. There's some we need firefighters, we need paramedics, and we need cops out there doing what they do every day. You know, which is as devastating and heartbreaking a loss as that 25 year old. Uh, was that we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, we need those folks out there because there are bad people in this world. There are bank robbers. There are people who want to do bad things and walk in and shoot people up. And there, there's, we need those first responders out there doing their specific roles. Yeah. And the great thing is, is we're, we're still, we still have people doing it. Look at him. I mean, he's the young hero, lost his life. Uh, but there's people out there saying, yeah, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. And and a lot of times it's from the modeling somewhere. They saw a cop doing his thing and they said, yeah, that's what I want to be when I grow up or a firefighter saving a cat in a tree saying, yeah, I want to go save cats and trees. And, you know, I want to be a veteran. I want to be a paramedic. There's some, there's some really good modeling taking place out there. Some really still some good recruitment. Oh, absolutely. And and departments are spending more money on recruiting and, and trying to make it, whether it's better health care or whether it's higher pay or, you know, whatever those things are, they're realizing that they, they need to do that in order to keep uh, those numbers going up because it's, I think it's, it's an appropriate place to talk about it, but the defund the police movement has been proven to not work. Uh, the cities that have, have gone that route uh, seem to be increasing in crime. It's the reality of the situation, whether people believe it or not. I mean, I was I was reading up on some articles the other day that, you know, they had this whole study out where this city council member was very highly, you know, for defund the police, right? And they're all over social media. They're all over there saying that. And, you know, that was three years ago. And then, you know, they fast forwarded three years to her, you know, being in city council and talking and saying, we need more public safety. We need this. Our citizens aren't safe. They aren't, you know, we can't go to the car at night. We can't do all these things. And the hypocrisy on the two different scales, right, was was really stark and and interesting because, I mean, people like you and you and me, I think, saw that route happening, like right in front of our eyes. We're like, oh, yeah, it's not going to end up well. Yeah, I read, uh, well, I didn't read the full article. I saw the headline and read maybe the first paragraph or two, but it must have been the similar one you're talking about, about West Coast. Yep. Uh, is that a way? Okay. Yeah. I saw the, I saw that article. Um, didn't read the full of it. It just, it, the whole thing, that whole concept kind of turns my stomach anyway. It, it, to your point, yes, it's already been proven. Uh, defund doesn't work. But, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's time to reset and go back to what we know. I, you know, I, obviously everybody's uh, opinion is valuable, but there's a gravity of truth that 
that comes from the law enforcement pieces. We know what happens out there after dark. We know there's an element of evil and, uh, and I'm not just talking about law enforcement. If you're in the first responder industry, veteran industry, you know what's out there. You know that bad things happen after dark. And it would be nice to live in a Pollyanna world where, you know, only good exists. <laughs> we, we know that's not the case. Uh, and have the devastating trauma scars to prove it. And it is, oh, on some levels kind of, Hey, I told you so, but we can't live there. We need to, we need to keep moving and saying, okay, let's, let's figure this thing out and go back to what we know works. Go back to what we know is healthy for our communities and healthy for our citizens of, all right, let's get off center. Let's get off the X here and we keep moving. Well, and I'm a big studier of the psychology and trends and, you know, uh, people's emotions, behaviors, all of that thing. This is what I'm a firm believer of. And um, I think it's been proven over human civilization, right? But there are trends in different societies that, uh, you know, occur, right? Like we'll talk about the 60s, right? Definitely, a, you know, fight the system, mentality with those growing up well as you know years went on it, the it flipped back to more you know each time it gets a little different progressive wise but you know people's mindsets you know weren't so much hey you know f the system anymore right and i and i think that that's going to happen again i i really do and i think that's a, a faith in society maybe that uh, I have, but I, I really, truly think that when it is no longer cool to dis or when it's too cool, sorry, to dislike the police, people will switch. I think people always don't want to follow the trends and they want to rebel against whatever thought process there is. So, you know, and, and it can be going on with everything in society, right? Like, you know, maybe it's kind of like the the natural progression of thing. And then there's going to be a group of people that stand up and say, no, I don't agree with the norm, the social norm. And I do support law enforcement or, or whatever it may be. Do you get what I'm saying? Did I explain that well enough? I, do, I feel like I do. I feel like I, 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 I understand your, your point. The gravity of, of the need for law enforcement is centuries old. Yeah. It's, you know, there, there are, people who want to do bad things to other people. That's the reality of it. And you have to have some type of in-between, some type of sheepdog, if you will. Uh, that's a context uh, term that, that is very familiar with most first responders, the sheepdog piece. There has to be, you have to have somebody to stand in the gap of fighting for the people, the innocents, the people who don't see what the trend is. The innocents, I think, oftentimes have forgotten that there is evil out there. And I'm not making a presumptive blanket to everybody, but I, there is this, you know, this thematic of nobody wants to cop around until you're in a tight spot, and then everybody wants to cop around. Nobody wants to do the hard work until something bad happens, and then you need somebody showing up doing the hard work. And that's that's essentially what's happened in some of these defund cities. Of well, it made sense on paper until you're crime rates are going skyrocketing. You know, one of the statistics was uh, the murder rate was up 237% in one of our major cities. You're like, holy shit. And okay, now 
we got it wrong. Let's back up and do something different. Yeah. Well, I think they called it in World War II. I think they called it foxhole prayers, right? Like nobody was religious until you're in a foxhole and you're praying to God to help get you out of that situation, right? Like that, once again, it's throughout society. It's it's throughout civilization. I mean, they had a, the, a similar form of public safety in Roman times, right? Like to, to protect the citizens and make sure that there was law and order and it's just proven that it's it's something that we need to do, right? And that, you know, people need somebody for those who can't defend themselves, uh, whether it's sexual assault or physical assault or or whatever it is, right? Like you are less likely in in my eyes uh to to commit those type of crimes if you know that there's a possibility to face judgment for it. Doesn't mean it's going to stop I, I want to make that clear. We both understand that and we understand how society works, but I, I think it's proven that the, it's you're less likely to do it if there's going to be a, a presence of somebody who will stop you from doing it. Sure. Well, the, you know, kind of bringing it back to, to our listeners. Uh, and I don't know that all of our listeners are first responders, but I think our audience is mostly um, first responders or loved ones or connections there too. And, I think it would be remiss if we didn't actually just said thank you yeah, to those out there that are serving in that capacity. And, you know, I'm, I'm five years out since I was actually formally carrying a gun as a profession. And I feel like the work environment now is very difficult. You know, whatever stand you take on it, it's very difficult. And I just want to say thanks to those out there doing the job because uh, it's hard. It's, it's a, it's always been hard. It will continue to be difficult. But I think from a No One Stands Alone podcast on behalf of us both, man, I am so grateful to those people out there doing their thing, being heroic in their actions and noble in their endeavors. Just very grateful for them. Absolutely. And this this is speaking to those that aren't uh, like myself, right? I never realized what the job was like until I got into this space. Like it just never was a thought process. I wasn't concerned with it or, or anything because it didn't affect my daily life. Right. And, you know, getting into the wellness portion and understanding the plight and understanding what someone goes through every day gave me an entirely new level of, of empathy, compassion, uh, you know all of these type of things right and that's that's something that i i i think goes unspoken right it's people actually just i mean they, it's said in the first responder community where people don't understand but this is me saying that from outside of that community that people don't understand they they really don't well in large part i think it goes to what we were talking about before which was most people don't see these first responders as the humans that they actually are they see them as representative of a institution they see them as a you know possibly even a formidable opponent if you will as to uh well they they you know that's just you know that's just the police department well it's actually a person it's actually a human who actually has feelings and has a family and has a life uh, aside from whatever uniform they respective uniform they may be wearing to you actually offer that up. I think is such a great perspective of why I didn't realize what they go through to actually do their job and actually live out their profession 
most first responders don't end up in this profession just by dipping their toe in the water and saying, Hey, this will be a this will be a great paycheck. That's not how you end up here. You end up here because you're driven to it, you're called to it, you're uh you have a passion to help. Most of them are idealistic in nature. And they do help, they do save, they do heroic actions, but they're human. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I mean, take this into consideration. I was told this by somebody else. This is definitely not my own language, but he said, How think about this, which is in today's age, you can go, you can, it's not, I mean, still only 1% of the population makes over, I think, $100,000 or something like that. But you can sit in your boxer shorts all day long and type on a computer and stare at a screen, or you can go be a, a police officer for $40,000 a year starting out, working 80 hours a week, and put your life on the line to help others. The person that is doing that has a purpose and a meaning and believes in it. It's it's one of those things where that that put a lot into perspective for me because they do have that choice. They could sit in front of a computer all day long and never have to worry about the world, but they make the conscious decision not to. Yeah, like kind of referring back to this is this is a calling. You don't you don't end up in these chosen professions, respective noble professions by chance typically some do some some that but that's the rarity the large majority of people have a very significant draw calling passion seeking something of some sorts to this to this community and uh that's i think in large part that's the beginning of why this community is so special because people choose to be here they choose to differentiate that this isn't just an average job this is this is a way of life as it were absolutely well brad hey i always enjoy these these conversations i'm glad we're doing this every week now just the two of us and have a a different perspective we've got a great lineup of guests coming in still as well on fridays super excited for um all of that that, that that's coming uh it's but but really i gotta thank the listeners once again because they're the ones that make this happen they're the ones that allow us to have an open space to sit and bullshit about life, about community, mental health, uh, trauma, PTSD. I mean, amazing stories. It. I look back on it now, a, a year after starting this, almost a year after starting this, and can't believe that we get to do this shit. It's cool. Agreed. And I think it'd be. Uh, I think it's 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 amazing to do. I feel privileged to do it. Just to to some of the feedback has been uh really impactful overwhelming a couple of them have just been hey, you've changed my life or you've made a huge impact in my life i i want to offer up a uh a, a little blurb of just saying hey if we we want to hear from you if you if you want to throw something in the the website chat box of maybe something that's spoken to you we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear how these are impacting you um, you know, if you, all that being said, if, if we, uh, if you have negative, you can keep that shit to yourself. Absolutely. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. If, <laughs> you know, it, there's the, all these algorithms and all these other things and, uh, you know, liking us on Apple podcasts or Spotify or whatever, it, it helps reach the word. And we, we want to say thank you for that. But yeah, if you, uh, if you don't like it, 
don't fucking listen. You know, (laughs) it's pretty simple. Yeah, absolutely. You have the power to do that. There's over a million podcasts out there. This one is designed for a a select group and it doesn't. And I tell people this all the time, getting into treatment and uh, it's that people have gotten pissed, but you know, I said my life as a whole will not change whether you come into treatment or not, it doesn't matter. You know, you, this is for your life. And I've gotten somebody to tell me to go fuck off. That was fucked up, whatever it may be. That, <laughs> that's the reality though, right? Like I'm here for, to try and spread, you know, words. And so if somebody has negative, to, something negative to say about the podcast and they can shove it up their ass. But I would like to hear from people that it, it did impact their lives. I, I, I've, I've heard from a few people, from a handful of people, and we just continue to grow. I'm excited. You know, you and I were just talking before we got on here about some of the numbers and what that looks like. And and it's pretty exciting, really, that we're making that much of an impact all across the country from just little low, no one fights alone podcast. Yeah. Oh. And uh, it would be nice to hear. Just drop us a note, uh, jump on our uh, social media, drop us a note on there uh, that it it's it's really cool but absolutely. i do want to thank you for listening absolutely well, thank and everybody for tuning in i mean it does mean the world the people that choose to engage this shit takes time it i mean it, it really does and hearing from uh and i'm gonna put kyle on blast here uh our friend from minnesota just because i had a phone conversation with him the other day and he calls me and says man i just listened to the neurofeedback episode and i listened to the peer connect episode he goes we have peer connected. We're not utilizing it. It's time to do that. After listening to the podcast, it makes me understand. Goes and then neurofeedback. Like I'm going to get this for our department. Like that kind of shit just makes my day. It makes my month. It, it's that's the cool shit about just being this being out there. It's like that's what it's designed to do, and it's actually working. So I got the feedback on the the neurofeedback. I got a call, guy call me. He said I was doing it wrong the whole time. I had the I had the uh, the uh oh what do you call the little the connectors in the wrong place yeah he said i i didn't i didn't really get much from it he said but now i'm looking back and thinking i had those in the wrong spot the whole time yep and you know just from that podcast alone that he listened to uh of of recognizing okay maybe there could be something to it because i fucked it up uh when i originally did it so that's just great feedback from the podcast of how impactful it is to some of these folks out there listening. Yeah. So. And if, and if we spit something out there that's not correct or not knowledgeable or, or incorrect, I mean, let us know we're fine with that too. Like I'm fine with, Oh, absolutely. I don't want to be spreading misinformation. That is one thing I don't want to be doing. So if you guys have any feedback on that, we, we would love to hear it, but Brad, thank you for sure. Another, another fun, fun conversation. This one was a little bit more heartfelt for me. I enjoyed this and talking about the appreciation we have for, for public safety. For sure. Always good visit, bro. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. 
Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First Responder Trauma Counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.